Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to yet another exciting episode of the Gap and Wrap Biosimilars podcast series. Get ready to embark on an enlightening journey into the realm of biosimilars with a focus on gastroenterology and rheumatology. I'm your host, Gabriella McCarty. I'm a nurse practitioner at North Shore Gastroenterology in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. This is a large private practice, and I do gastroenterology and hepatology, and I've been there for 24 years. Today, we have a great episode in store for you. We're going to discuss a topic that I get asked about in one way or another all the time, and that is, what is the difference between biosimilars and generic drugs? Now, let's introduce our guest for this episode. Joining us today is Tedra Gray. She's a nurse practitioner at Mount Sinai in Chicago, specializing in gastroenterology. Welcome, Tedra. We're so fortunate to have you here with us today. Thank you so much, Gabriella, for having me. It's an honor to be a part of the podcast. I'm particularly excited to talk to you uh, today about the differences between generics and biosimilars, because as you mentioned, it's something that we get asked about all the time, and there are some notable differences. Okay, so let's get started by clarifying the basics. We've all been using generics in one fashion or another our entire career. I think everyone is familiar with generic medications in general. Biosimilars, though, are relatively new and though certainly poised to be a game changer in our world today. So, Tedra, could you provide us with a brief overview of what generic medications and biosimilars are? Of course, Gabriella. Generic medications are essentially copies of brand name drugs that have almost the same active ingredients, intended use, dosage form, and route of administration. They are approved by regulatory authorities such as the FDA once the patent for the original brand name drug has expired. Biosimilars, on the other hand, are a bit different. As their name states, they are similar, but not identical. Versions of biological drugs. Biologics are medications made from living organisms or cells and are often used to treat complex diseases like the ones we deal with in gastroenterology and rheumatology every day. Biosimilars are developed to be highly similar to an already approved biologic drug, also known as the reference product, with no clinically meaningful significance. Thank you for that, Tedra. Now we have a good background on what biosimilars and generics are, so let's go into what are some of the differences. So these two get mistaken for one another very often, but there are some key differences. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, Gabriella. And I think it's understandable to conflate biosimilars with generics. Generic medications have been a huge part of our therapeutic repertoire. We are familiar with them. We're comfortable with them. When something new, such as biosimilars, roll around, it's human nature to try to associate that new thing with something we know. And in this case, it's generics. With that being said, there are significant differences between the two, and we are well positioned as APPs to answer questions on those differences when our patients have them. 
Okay, great. So to lay things out for the remainder of the podcast, can you give us a kind of high-level overview of these differences, like the high-level concepts, if you will? Absolutely. When it comes to the differences, there are a few key high-level concepts we should explore. Firstly, molecular size and structure plays a significant role. Substances can vary in their molecular size, which refers to the actual physical dimensions of the molecule and and what they're comprised of. This size difference can have a profound impact on their properties and behaviors. And secondly, the complexity of the development is, is another crucial aspect. Some substances require intricate processes and meticulous experimentation to be synthesized and manufactured. This complexity can stem from the need to follow precise reaction conditions and to utilize advanced techniques. Conversely, simpler substances may have more straightforward developmental processes, often requiring fewer steps or resources. Lastly, let's consider the cost of the development. Developing substances can involve a wide range of expenses, including research, raw materials, equipment, and labor. Complex substances with intricate molecular structures or unique properties often require substantial investment in research and development. On the other hand, similar or simpler substances with well-established synthesis methods may have a lower developmental cost. Bringing it home, the high-level concepts we should discuss encompass three key areas. One, molecular size and structure. Two, complexity of development. And three, cost of development. Wow, that's a great intro into vital concepts. So let's take them one by one. Can you give us some key distinctions in terms of molecular size and structure between generics and biosimilars? For sure, Gabriella. It's, it probably comes as no surprise, but generic medications are much less complex, smaller molecules. In fact, they are often referred to as small molecular generics. The great majority of generics have a molecular weight of less than 500 Daltons. That's in contrast to biosimilars, which tend to be very large and are often a mixture of related molecules. To put things into perspective, adalimumab has a molecular weight of about 150 kilo Daltons. That's 150,000 Daltons for a biosimilar versus less than 500 Daltons for a generic. So that's like comparing approximately a five-pound weight to a two-pound weight. So there's a noticeable difference. In regard to molecular structures, generics are simple, well-defined, and independent of manufacturing process, which is very different than biosimilars, which are complex, heterogeneous, and defined by the exact manufacturing process. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the manufacturing process. Since what I'm hearing is that biosimilars are much larger, more complex molecules, how does that play into the differences in development? That's a great question, Gabriella. Developing a biosimilar involves a more complex and rigorous process to small molecular generics. Extensive analytics and studying of those analytics 
are conducted to, com to characterize a biosimilar. This involves comparing four key elements. One, physiochemical properties, primary and high order protein structures, thirdly, biological activity, and fourth, impurity profiles of the biosimilar and reference product. Sophisticated analytical techniques, such as a mass spectrometry, chromography, and spectroscopy are used for this purpose. After that, non-clinical studies are conducted to assess the similarities and safety of the biosimilar. These studies may include in vitro tests to evaluate the biological activity, binding affinity, and mechanism of action of the biosimilar compared to the reference drug. Animal studies are also performed to assess pharmacokinetics, toxology, immunogenicity, and other relevant parameters. Then comparative clinical analysis and or trials are conducted to establish the similarity of a biosimilar to the reference biologic in terms of efficacy, safety, and immunogenicity. These trials typically involve a stepwise approach, starting with pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics studies to demonstrate equivalent exposure and response compared to the reference product. Subsequent clinical trials involve efficacy and safety assessment in patients, often including specific disease populations for which the reference biologic is approved. So let's shift to developing of the small molecule generic, which involves a simpler process. The generic manufacturer needs to demonstrate bioequivalence to the reference drug, typically through an in vitro dissolution testing and in vivo pharmacokinetic studies. Extensive clinical trials are not typically required unless there are specific concerns related to the drug's safety or efficacy. That was a really great explanation of differences in development. Would I be correct in assuming that translates to a difference in the cost of developing a generic compared to a biosimilar? Absolutely. You, yes, it surely would, because the developmental process for biosimilars is considerably more rigorous than the developmental process of a small molecular generic. It also costs more and takes a lot longer. There are varying statistics out there, but general generics tend to take about two years to develop and cost two to four million dollars. Now, that's probably a lot of money to you and I and to most people, but that's tiny compared to up to the nine years and the 100, 100 to $250 million it can cost to develop a biosimilar, which in and of itself is much smaller than the greater than 10 years and approximately $2.6 billion it can cost to develop a new biologic agent. Wow, those numbers are staggering. But I guess my take home is that biosimilars take much longer and cost quite a bit more money to develop than generic medications. Absolutely. Exactly correct. Tedra, you've given us such good information. Let's shift our attention and delve into the practical aspects and key take home messages that emerged from today's discussion. So we'll go through a few questions um, that patients uh, might ask or that we can bring up when we're talking about generic medications or biosimilars. So firstly, do you feel that it's valuable for APPs like ourselves 
to know the difference between generics and biosimilars? Of course, yes. I think it's extremely valuable for APPs to know the difference between generics and biosimilars. Um, Understanding the structural um, safety and efficacy perspective is essential to patient education, which would then impact compliance. Yeah. And then one thing I think about, like those numbers were truly staggering. Like, I mean, 100 to $250 million to develop a biosimilar. So it is something that may come up. Like if patients are asking about, you know, why are these medications so expensive and um, going through these patient assistance programs and why do we need all this authorization? I mean, that is something that you can potentially bring up in that conversation. Exactly. I think because the drug is such a complex drug, um, which is comparable to the disease state, the disease state is a very complex chronic disease. And so we need to make sure that what we're using to treat is something that we have spent time to develop, to test, to study, and to ensure that we are um, creating the uh, atmosphere that the patients would be able to really reap the long-term benefits. And so with um, intense production and replication of the findings, it's important to understand that all of that um, is with precision and detail, which comes with the cost. Right. I agree with all of that. So um, there is one important question that we're going to ask every guest in this series, um, because Mm -hmm. we want to get multiple perspectives from GI and rheumatology APPs. And that is, what is the most frequent question you get from patients about biosimilars and how do you answer it? Well, that's a good question, Gabriella. I believe the most important or the most frequent question I get asked from patients about biosimilars um, is, will this impact my remission of my disease state or will it cause a flare um, in the transition or change from the uh, brand or reference product to to a biosimilar Um, And I would say the answer to that is no. And I would reference the um, three key elements that the that the uh, reference drug and the biosimilar have the exact same structure and complexity with with some slight um, changes. So you're getting the exact same drug, however, at the cost. Of, of a much cheaper option. So I would say to incorporate just not the patient in the room myself, but also consider the payer. And so the payer wants to make sure that you get the same amount of drug at the at a cost that's relatively efficient. So you should expect to retain remission. You should expect to receive the same um, impact and control of your disease, but at a, at a cost that allows for everyone to benefit. So it's a win-win for all of us in the room. Yeah, that's true. And I get the same questions. Like, will it work the same? Am I going to have different side effects? Am I going to flare up, you know, on, you know, if I do this switch? And again, I will tell them the same thing that you just mentioned. Although um, I will mention that some patients swear that they now have a slight flare up and they're not doing as well. And, and then we just revisit it. And if needed, we go back um, to the original, you know, brand name, if you will. Um, but yeah, important to talk about those cost differences. 
but it's also important to be transparent with patients because a lot of times, you know, the insurance company ultimately makes the decision for you. And then you're like, okay, it's fine to just switch over to whatever biosimilar that their insurance company approves. But then, you know, you don't want patients to get really, some patients get really upset about that. So it is important to be transparent and, hey, let them know that their next infusion is going to be, you know, the same dosing, essentially the same medication, um, but a different name, you know, a biosimilar, right? Absolutely. And and I think the other aspect also to, to is ensure that, that the, as a provider, we're on the same team as the patient. Um, and so we will definitely ensure and, and, and walk this journey with them. And just because of the change, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, they're alone in, in, in how um, they're going to progress in the disease process. So just continue to say that we're all going to work together and do our part. So that's important. Right. Too. And important to follow up with patients routinely. And I usually, you know, have patients come back every six months regardless, but maybe if you're doing a, any type of change, even if it's to a biosimilar, you know, follow them back up in three months versus your normal six months, just to make patients feel more at ease. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that goes the extra mile to ensuring that, hey, I'm concerned just as you are. And so, in any way to create space and opportunity to kind of voice those concerns. And even if, even if there aren't any concerns, but that that they're wins that they feel good, they still feel the same. And um, you can use them as an, as a, as a case report or, you know, a, a point of reference for any future patients who might have to transition as well to say, you know what, I'm still having success in this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that follow-up to it, just provides, you know, if patients have those small, subtle changes that maybe, hey, they're way better than they were at their baseline prior to starting on treatment. But, you know, if there was any changes from subtle changes that you, they may not even think about, but you bring it up in the office. Right. Right. I totally agree. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So we've had a very informative journey exploring the distinctions between biosimilars and generics. And we hope that this discussion has shed light on the complexities and nuances surrounding this important aspect of the biosimilar landscape. So I want to extend a heartfelt thank you to our incredible guest, Tedra, for sharing her experience with us. Thank you so much, Gabriella, um, and to uh, Gap for um, this opportunity. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to hear the remainder of the Biosimilar podcast series and uh, learn some nuggets myself. All right. So we hope today's discussion has provided a better understanding of the key differences between biosimilars and generics. Whether you're a member of GAP, RAP, or another medical professional, or just interested in biosimilars, it's crucial to stay informed on a topic that's sure to impact the care of our patients. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the GAP and RAP Biosimilars podcast series. I'd also like to thank Pfizer and Amgen, because without your continued support of APP education, this podcast would not even be possible. So please see our show notes for learning objectives from this episode. 
and fill out our evaluation so that we can receive feedback. Make sure that you join us next time as we discuss biosimilar extrapolation. Remember to follow GAPCAST and RAPCAST so that you don't miss any episodes. Until next time, take care.